Friday, September 20th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. It's the last podcast of summer. This week, can Joe Walsh rock the GOP? Iowa's Democratic Senate race and the full king. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Happy fall, y'all. <laughs> Thank you. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, Joe Walsh. Former Illinois Congressman Joe Walsh has been in Iowa this week, laying the groundwork for an Iowa caucus campaign. Coming from next door, the University of Iowa graduate uh, says he'll be spending a lot of time in Iowa. Unlike fellow uh, Trump challengers, Walsh is predicting a victory in the first in the nation caucuses. Um, saying he intends to get more votes than the president gets in the caucuses. But, Todd, does Walsh have to get more votes than Trump to score a win? Well, I mean, I think his former band of the Eagles were pretty popular. <laughs> so, or are we talking about a different Joe Walsh? <laughs> Not the same. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we wish. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, yeah, I mean, to win he needs more votes, but to, to embarrass the president or damage the president, I think if he were to get – you know, pick a percentage, 15, 20, somewhere in there, that would, I think, would be a bad sign for President Trump. I don't see any indication that that's going to happen, but uh, I think the most famous case would be, would have been 1992 when Pat Buchanan got like 30% in New Hampshire, and that was sort of the first sign that George H.W. Bush was in trouble. So uh, I wouldn't anticipate that a challenge that strong is going to is going to materialize, given the polling that shows that the, the president is very popular with the Republican base. Uh, not as popular as he says he is, necessarily, but <laughs> still pretty, pretty popular in the 80s. Eight, high 80s to around 90, the sort of temperatures that we're no longer going to see now that, as you mentioned, summer is leaving yes. us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think you're right that if he even hits double digits, yeah. it, um, you know, it, it probably sends a bit of a signal in, and uh, you know, I think about if the tariff situation hasn't been resolved, if, uh, if Iowa farmers can't sell their beans and pork, um, you know, maybe there will be a lot of disgruntled folks showing up at the Republican caucuses. And, and certainly it seems like if Walsh hits, say, 20 percent, it sends a signal uh, that, you know, it's OK to oppose the president um, and, you know, maybe the Republicans in New Hampshire uh, send a larger signal. Um, but it's hard to imagine yeah. uh, that he actually gets a majority. Well, and you've got multiple challengers, so I guess if they all added up to yeah. some large sum yeah. like that, that would be a signal. Uh, and, and you wonder if there's any polling or anything that indicates something like that, whether the the Trump folks would start leaning on Iowa. To, oh, why do, we, do we have to have this straw poll? Oh. Do, we have to, do we have to do that, really? Can't you just get behind the president? And so that, that would... That'd be kind of interesting. I again, I it's a long shot, but mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. Uh, in talking to Walsh this past week, he, he talked about. Um, he said that Bill Weld and Mark Sanford have said that they don't expect to win. They're they're running, I guess, sort of as protest candidates or to make a point. But he's predicting. Walsh is predicting that he'll he'll win the Iowa caucuses. So uh, I guess we'll we'll know in about five months. 
Um, <laughs> after a fall in the middle of winter, we'll know. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> you sat down with Walsh, um, and you said that one of the things that struck you was that his arguments for dumping Trump sounded similar to the case being made by uh, an Iowa politician challenging an incumbent. Yeah, yeah, and uh, shameless plug, I wrote about this uh, for over the weekend, so uh, watch for that. But uh, yeah, it was striking that uh, to hear, uh, you know, I asked Joe Walsh, so what is your case? You, you see the numbers, you know, as as Todd just mentioned, the, the president's approval rating is in the high 80s, approaching 90% in the party. So what do you say to to Republican voters uh, to, to convince them to, to look for an alternative? Um, and the argument he made is basically the same argument that Randy Feenstra, Jeremy Taylor, and Brett Richards are making in the 4th District Republican primary against Steve King, which is, I'm just as conservative as this incumbent. I'll vote the way you want me to. I'll, I'll advocate for the issues you want me to the way you want me to. But I won't embarrass you. Um, it was a, it was it was remarkable how similar the message was, <clears throat> and I and I actually mentioned that to Joe Walsh, um, and, and he said yeah, and I agree with that. And, and he said, "Oh, by the way, get Steve King out of there too." So so that's where Joe Walsh stands <laughs> in the fourth district primary. In case anyone was wondering that, um, so yeah. So anyways, like I said, it was it was interesting to hear him make essentially the same case that the folks uh, primarying Steve King are making. Yeah, and in, in, in talking to him, he makes it pretty clear that he's uh, not looking to replace Mike Pence on the ticket or get a cushy job in the Trump administration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's I not. Mean, he, uh, <laughs> he, it was the same way talking, with me. Calls, <laughs> sorry, Jeff. He's he, he's not making his way onto the uh, Trump family Christmas card list uh, with this campaign. Uh, this isn't a respectful disagreement. Uh, he um, expletives and other strong words to describe the the president throughout my uh, interview with him something like the same with you yeah he, re- he referred to the president as a moron and ignoramus a malignant narcissist someone incapable of telling the truth or caring about anyone other than himself so yeah i don't think he'll be uh invited to the the white house christmas party it anytime. sounds like it was thinly veiled criticism <laughs> yeah. as we hear often from politicians <laughs> Uh, so, Todd, do you think that approach will work with GOP caucus goers? Oh, who, I mean, who it's, may think having their moron in the White House is better than a Democratic president? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, it's an uphill battle for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't. I, I mean, you know, there there are some Republicans out there that are disgruntled, and and they'll they'll like that approach, but it's a very very small number, as we mentioned, and so uh, for the rest, they'll. You know, probably ignore it, or, or, you know, you've seen folks that are Trump supporters basically accuse these guys of aiding and comforting the enemy. So, uh, but, you know, it's it's a, it's it's supposed to be a process where anybody can run. So it's a, uh, it'll be interesting to see how much they actually campaign here and how if they draw, attend you know crowds of any size and, uh, it'll you know that'll be interesting to watch. Well, it, it will be because, uh, as Aaron and I had talked about earlier in the week, um, the Walsh campaign kept referring to they were having events. Uh, at one point they told me they were planning a town hall in Des Moines and another in Ames. Um, as far as I know, neither one happened. 
and, and in my uh, they did. Sorry, Jim. Go ahead. I was just going to say that was interesting too, and they, I, I guess they did have one in Des Moines, and it was interesting. So I talked to Joe Walsh on Wednesday morning, and even at that point, he said we're going to do this little pop up event later today, but they weren't saying when and where or anything. And then I'm back at my computer later that afternoon working on the story, and I uh, look on the Twitters. And there I see a tweet from the Walsh campaign that says we're going to be at, and I forget the spot, in Des Moines um, later tonight. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to approach that. I guess they <laughs> didn't want a lot of people to know in advance. that they. So I assumed they held it, um, mm, okay. uh, but I didn't know anything about it, even though I had talked to the campaign even earlier that morning. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but it, it – Yeah. They're, they say they're staffing up, they're getting organized, so I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, how, how much of a campaign presence they have here in Iowa. And as he pointed out, being next door in Illinois, he uh, can be here often. He was traveling with his wife, campaign staffers, and the family dog, so uh, quite an entourage. No. <laughs> Moving right along, uh, the race for the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate continues to feel like it's in low gear. But uh, an endorsement and some criticism uh, from one of the four candidates seemed to rev it up, if only a little. Lane County Supervisor Stacy Walker, who had considered running for the nomination to challenge Senator Joni Ernst, announced his endorsement of Des Moines attorney Kimberly Graham. Uh, and Walker, who's seen as a rising progressive star in the party, has voiced his irritation with what he sees as interference from the Democratic Party officials and organizations in Iowa's four-way race for the party's nomination. Emily's List and the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, for example, are backing Teresa Greenfield. Walker thinks the choice of a nominee should be left to Iowans. Todd, is that sort of an old-fashioned, outdated idea when there's so much at stake that we should leave <laughs> the nomination to folks who actually know the candidates? We should leave it to computer rankings, maybe. We should just put in all the stats and see what spits out the, the other The power side. rankings. Yeah, exactly. Technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that works so well for college football. Yeah, right, didn't it? <laughs> Well, and this approach didn't exactly <laughs> this approach didn't exactly work real well for for the Democrats in in 2016 when they when the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee sort of stepped in and introduced Patty Judge into the Democratic Senate primary to look you know they were trying to pick someone to run against Chuck Chuck Grassley and the and the Supreme Court seat controversy came up and for five minutes they thought Chuck Grassley was vulnerable and so they instead of you know waiting to see who came out of the existing field at that time. Senator Rob Hogue was in the race. I forget exactly, I forget who all was running. Tom Fegan. Tom Fegan, that's right. Yeah. Instead of sorry, let that shake out, they 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 uh, convinced Patty Judge to run, backed her immediately, and she ended up winning the primary, although I never got the impression that enthusiasm for her candidacy was that high, and I think part of it was that she was sort of, you know, inserted by the, mm -hmm. the, the national party. Uh, so that's that's the that's the risk you you run is that if you you know if you anoint someone and try to you know meddle in in that process as they're doing now you do kind of l label the candidate they're backing with this sort of Washington backed uh, allegation which Republicans are already running with I mean they they took the opportunity to send out press releases this week after Walker you know made his statements and endorsement and and so. Yeah, it's 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 not good news for Greenfield, and she she may have been the nominee after all, but and may end up have been having been better off, maybe just allowing her to to win mm -hmm. this on her own. 
Well, and, it, and Aaron, it seems like that was this is similar to the approach that uh, Democrats took in 2014 uh, when Ernst ran uh, against uh, Bruce Braley. Uh, <coughs> party seemed to sort of clear. Yeah, up. I don't. Go ahead. I don't know how uh, Democrats aren't still traumatized by that 14 race and 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 remember that well enough to avoid situations um, like this. Everyone um, that I've talked to in the aftermath of that said that was a huge mistake to to clear the field um, in that primary and that, that Joni Ernst came out of a, a her tough fought primary with some, some huge momentum. Um, uh, I think what a lot of people forget and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm 99% sure on this, that the make them squeal ad was came during the primary, right? That wasn't uh, during the general election. That wasn't an ad that debuted during the primary and something that really got her campaign going. Um, so, so it's kind of surprising to me and it has been, and, um, to, that, that, the the national Democrats have put their thumbs on the scale, um, in this one. Um, it kind of feels like, a uh, um, a case of someone not having learned a lesson. Um, um, so we'll see. And, um, and, you know, and, and Teresa Greenfield, I, I know a lot of Democrats like very much. They were very disappointed, um, when, um, she had her issue with the qualifying for the ballot in the third district primary um, this past cycle because a lot of people were excited about her as a candidate. So they still like her very much and think she has a future in the party. Um, I think in a lot of ways the the National Democrats, um, like you, uh, like Todd alluded to, may have actually done a disservice to Greenfield and, and might have been better off just letting her run this thing on her own and she very well may have come out um on top anyways and and now this kind of um label is attached to her campaign because of the national democrats efforts and and i guess then the the question we have to ask is will it really matter who the nominee is uh when they run against joni ernst Mm. yeah maybe not i mean (laughs) she's gonna be tough to beat. there's no doubt yeah, I was gonna say the same thing i mean it's she goes in with the advantage but i think it does matter just because you know, look, it, we're still a long way from this thing, um, and who knows what the national atmosphere will be like. Who, who knows what, whether Donald Trump will be a benefit or a hindrance to down-ticket Republicans in that election. And, and, in, and in the case that, um, you know, Republicans are struggling next year, you got to have a, the right candidate in place to be able to take advantage of that. So, so while it's an uphill battle, I think, in this race, I think it still does matter which candidate the Democrats have. they got to have someone in there who's ready to run a good campaign and, and present a case and, and give voters who, who may want to look in a direction uh, someone to think about. And, of course, who knows? Joni Ernst might be uh, running for vice president. Who knows? Yeah. You know, I mean, she, tur- she, she turned it down four <laughs> years ago, but maybe this time, you know. Uh, well, we'll talk about that on a future edition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before that, we're going to talk about the full king. It's like the full Grassley, but smaller. Fourth District Representative Steve King will have his 39th and final county town hall meeting Saturday morning. Uh, Brett Hayworth will be there to cover it, and he's preparing to look back at the controversial congressman's sometimes bumpy trip around the western Iowa district. Uh, for your weekend reading pleasure. He's not here today, but Aaron, you covered at least one of those uh, town hall meetings. Uh, this was uh, sort of a departure from King's more recent modus operandi of largely avoiding this sort of interaction with his constituents. Uh, has, has it been to his benefit to have these town hall meetings? Um, you know, I my sense 
is that yes, it, it has been to his benefit. And um, I think we start from um, the fact that he kind of was um, forced into this. One of the criticisms of him during the last campaign was that he didn't do this kind of stuff and wasn't accessible to the voters. And it was really hard for, for as much as he has been able to push back on other criticisms of him. It was hard for him to do that in this case because he didn't, because he, because, because he, as you noted, he, he didn't do town halls like this in, in the past. You know, he had his reasons for do, not doing that. He, you know, he claimed he stopped doing them because they were just an opportunity for um, critics to ambush him in public. Um, but at the end of the day, he for whatever reason, he wasn't doing them. Um, and after facing a, a really close, a razor thin election margin in, in 2018, he felt compelled that he probably better get out there this time around. So I think just from that standpoint alone and, and getting back out in front of, of Republican voters in the district again, um, I think that probably has helped him. And from the standpoint of the, the few, and I covered a few times that he did these and, and spoke in public, um, you know, there's still, as we talk about this on the podcast in the past, there, there's still grassroots support for Steve King is uh, for, for all the times he's made his way into the national headlines. There's still a, a, a healthy chunk of fourth district Republicans who are, who are, or who are remain faithful to Steve King, uh, still like him. Um, and, and that was apparent at these meetings. So, uh, you know, that, that, you know, show just showed once again that that support for him is still there, and he was able to get directly in front of those people and and just kind of may, maybe strengthen and, and secure that support so he doesn't lose any more people going into this next election. So I think it probably was helpful for him. We'll probably never know, but uh, I would be curious whether or not uh, Steve King got any advice or encouragement from, uh, say, Senators uh, Grassley and Ernst to the. Who, who do town hall meetings, you know, do the full Grassley, uh, and they take their share right. of abuse at those and, and you know, might have said to him, hey, you know, man up uh, <laughs> and get out there. Um, and, and Todd, I guess love him or hate him, should King get points for, um, unlike many of his colleagues, having publicized town hall meetings, knowing that uh, not everyone who shows up will come to uh, give him honor? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I think he does deserve credit for that. I mean, that's, I guess, you know, on on that, on that credit, there's asterisks, of course, <laughs> because you know, because he, it's Steve King. Well, yeah, if he, if he might have been better if he hadn't gone out and sort of professed that the human race not might not be around if it wasn't for rape and incest. I mean, that that might have been something he wanted to <laughs> avoid. It got a lot of attention. There were other things that he said during these town hall meetings that that made many of us and the and the nation. Uh, uh, sort of wonder what what the guy could be thinking, but uh, yeah, I mean, town halls are good. Lots of politicians don't have them. King was one of those politicians, as as Aaron just talked about. He he's been sort of loath to debate his opponents during the during campaign cycles and and have these sort of open forums. And so, I mean, but you know, he also got a visit, you know, last you know, last election day from the ghost of his political future. And <laughs> that ghost was invisible because it looked like he wasn't going to have a political future there for about 20 minutes on election night. And he knows that he's, uh, he's got a, a tough primary and, and probably has a, a decent, if he was, if he survives that, he's probably got a decent, you know, general election challenge again from J.D. Shulton. 
Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Emperor's Club will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. I just need a minute of your time. There's so much left to do. Hard to get a word in there when everybody's wrong compared to you. It's not a mystery anymore. What you get over being bored? It's too important. I got a couple things I can say to you. We ain't got much time That you ignore and pick your clothes up off the floor.